Amen. There's a scripture that the pastor previously alluded to, and I want us to turn to Genesis chapter 2, from verse 7 to 8, and then again verse 15. Okay, and I'll read. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the bread of life, and man became a living soul. Verse 8. And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And then verse 15, just the last part will say, the reason why God put the man in the garden was to dress it and to keep it. Remember that God formed this man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils. He became a loving being. And then the Lord God planted the garden eastward in Eden, and then God took this man and he put this man in the garden. For what purpose? To dress it and to keep it. Amen. The story of uh, Adam and Eve in the garden, for me, how I would like to see it is more of a parable. Parable meaning whatever happened there, it's a parallel in life. What happened, ever happened in the garden of Eden with Adam and Eve is still happening today. It's happening basically within our own lives. Once we understand why God has put us in this garden or why God has purpose for men to be in the garden to tend and keep it, that will basically help us to understand our state of being that we're currently in. And once we, we understand that, how to bring the kingdom of God in this life, how to manifest it, Adam and Eve in the garden... That story or that parable basically is what's happening to our lives currently. That was a blueprint. Whatever happened in the Bible is the fact of what happened in the garden. God has put or planted the garden and he put the man in the garden to tent and to keep it. That whole process runs throughout the Bible. You can read whatever book in the Bible it will reflect there as well until we get to the book of Revelation and uh, there we will find basically what the whole purpose is for. If we check the book of Genesis, it starts off with the man in the garden and the blessedness of the garden and then ends off with the man in a coffin. That's the last scripture in Genesis 50, I think verse 26, Joseph in a coffin. But then if you take the whole Bible... The Bible starts off, obviously, also with the man in the garden. And then it ends off with the man as the habitation of God on the throne. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So we started off in the garden to tend and keep. And then God basically elevates. And this is his whole plan. So that at the end of all ages, you need to be consumed with God, filling all in all. Hallelujah. You know what? The garden of God is not the physical place that we can allocate on this earth or even in, on any other planet. The garden of God is basically your state of being. You know your state that you find yourself in today? There is a higher state to live from. The state of being that man was as being like the firstborn, 
or brought from the hand of God and placed, it represents man in the presence of God. So your, the garden of God equals the kingdom of heaven on earth. When we speak about the garden of Eden or the garden of God, we talk about your state of being when you were first created out of the hand of God. And that state of being was the kingdom of heaven on earth. It's not the kingdom of heaven somewhere. The kingdom of heaven on earth. We are made of the dust of the earth. So when the Bible speaks of the earth, as Sumi also alluded to, you're talking about the physical body. So the, the garden of God is basically the kingdom or the rulership of God in the earth. However, we also need to know the garden also represents a man. Amen. The garden is a state of being. However, the garden also represents man. In actual fact, on the one hand, where man was the garden, and on the other hand, man was in the garden. Does it make sense? So man was the garden, and man is also in the garden. So you are a garden within a garden. Let's go to Isaiah 51 verse 3. It states, For the Lord shall comfort Zion. He will comfort all her waste places. And he will make a wilderness like Eden. And a desert like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness shall be found therein thanksgiving and voice of melody. We can't say that the apples will be singing or that grapes, they must show forth gladness. Can grapes show forth gladness? Can oranges shout for joy? Basically what the scripture is alluding to is to man, is to the people of God. Amen. So what God is basically encouraging us here with is that in your wilderness state that you currently find yourself in, wilderness state meaning you're so deep in this carnality, that you don't know what to do anymore. It's like, is this life still worth loving? This is what the pressures of carnality is doing to you. Amen. So in this state of wilderness, there's no joy, there's no peace, there's no life. Amen. God is encouraging us in this scripture, saying that he will comfort all her waste places. And he will make a wilderness like Eden. Where at first when God put man in the garden is where his presence is, is where his joy is, is where his life is. And here God is basically encouraging us, saying that even though you find yourself in this state of wilderness, he will make you like the garden of God. Amen. Amen. Isn't that encouraging? Even Isaiah also, Isaiah, if we go to Isaiah 5, 1 to 7, it reads, now I will sing to my well-beloved a song of my beloved touching his vineyard. My well-beloved had a vineyard in a very fruitful hill, and he fenced it, gathered out stones thereof, and planted it with the choices of vine, and built a tower in the midst of it, and he looked that it should bring forth grapes. Okay, get this picture. This uh, beloved has got a vineyard. We talk about the vineyard, the grapes. And in this vineyard, even fenced it. He's so 
no, proud of this vineyard of his. He fenced it, he dug out stones so that it can grow nicely. All right. And then carrying on, he says, he looked that it should bring forth grapes. That was his purpose. And then it brought forth wild grapes. Mm. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem, judge, I pray you, between me and my vineyard, what could have been done more to my vineyard that I have not done to it? And now go to, I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will lay it waste. It shall not be pruned nor digged, but there shall come up briars and thorns for the vineyard of the Lord. For the vineyard of the Lord is the house of Israel, and the man of Judah is pleasant plant. Once again, what I want to actually try and bring out here is that when we talk about the vineyard of God or the garden of God, God is not talking about a place in a nice garden. He's talking about his people. Amen. So his people is his garden. He's the husband man. It's not you. It's not me. If God plants, he will water or he will bring the increase in your life. Amen. Quickly, Isaiah 58 says, The Lord shall guide thee continually and satisfy thy soul in drought. And make fat thy bones, and thou shalt be a watered garden, and like a spring of water, whose water fail not. Again, God is speaking to his people. Not the garden as such, but remember he's using the symbolism of the garden. Meaning this state of being that you will be in eventually, or that you will purpose to be in. It's you. God is focused on. Amen. He says, you shall be like a watered garden. Have you seen a watered garden? Nice and green. You, you want to be in that garden. But the dry garden, hey, you know. <laughs> you rather sit in the house. All right. The word declares, as, as we have read our opening uh, scripture, Genesis 2 verse 7 to 8 and 15, is that the word dress Basically, is a translation of the Hebrew, which just means or to work, to serve, to till, or to be a gardener. So man was put in the garden to, to be a gardener. What does a gardener do? Whenever there's wheat, you uproot it, you plow the ground, you water it, make it look nice. Amen? So if ever there's wheat, you're not going to feed the weeds and, you know, water the weeds. You will uproot it. Amen. So, firstly, God placed man in the garden to dress it and keep it. So, dress means to work it, or dress means to serve it, or it means you be the gardener of this, this garden. Amen. And the word keep actually just means to guard it. So, if you guard it, what basically is, once you have told it, I mean, I've seen people who, the gardeners basically, you... You know, they they take out all the weeds and cut the grass nice and evenly and water it. Obviously, what they do, they try and fence it, isn't it? So that no one just walks through it and do whatever. Even if a dog comes there, you will chase it out. So you, you dress it and you need to keep it or guard it. So what was the purpose when God created this garden? 
and then or planted this garden, and then he what? He put the man, placed him in the garden to do what? To dress it and to keep it. Hallelujah. So the garden within this garden. And God has placed us in the garden to dress it and to keep it. God has created this garden, this community. Remember that all societies basically started off in the garden. Also in that Genesis verse, it talks about the Lord planted a garden. If you can hear, not you, not me, the Lord plants this garden. Amen? So there's, there's two sides of it. God put the man in the garden. The garden belongs to who? To God. But there's, there's a reason why he put the man in there. So firstly, the garden is the Lord's. He planted it. And secondly, you have a role to play in it. That's why he wouldn't have put Adam in the garden. Firstly, it's his garden. He put you in the garden to do what? To dress it and to keep it. That's your purpose. Amen. And his purpose didn't change. Still the same. But I'll get to it. And remember that when we talk about the garden of God, we're not talking about physical garden. We're talking about man, which is us. You are the garden of God. You are the planting of the Lord. Amen. Hallelujah. So what happened in the garden is that Adam failed to tend and keep the garden. And what happens if you don't look after a garden? It dies. It dries up. I mean, it's good for nothing. You can burn it, actually. It dries. It's unfruitful. Adam failed at first in the garden to tend and to keep it. Many today, as actually humanity progress, we still fail to dress and keep it. Amen. So we can't just blame Adam. In your life, you know that you failed. You failed to keep it, to dress it, and to guard it. When I talk about you as a garden, and God put you in a garden, your life is a garden. And God placed you in a garden of gardens. So God firstly called you to tend or to dress and to keep your garden. Firstly, before you run around uh, checking other people's gardens and watering. and that's, that's how life is. Nowadays, people worry about other people's gardens. Or they worry about other people's lives. You know, no, you must do this and you must do that. Let me do this for you, brother. And let me pray and, and let me this and that. And brother, this and you can't do this. But when it comes to your own garden, we neglect it. And you know how we know that? Ask the people at home. <laughs> they know you. I can, you see now, I look nice now. Nice suit and everything. The garden is not about this outside. At home they know you more and actually better than what you present here. So when we talk about the garden, it's your, your heart. The innermost part of who you are. I'm not talking about your physical appearance. Because people can, hey, they can look successful. They can look very uh, well-mannered when they get home. 
then we know then the garden is producing the fruits that the garden is giving off, the spices, the smells. Are you tending and keeping your garden? Or are you also like Adam? You failed. But you worry about who said what. Did you hear? Uh, so and so did one, two, three. You're so worried about the gardens out there. But your own garden, you failed to tend and to keep it. Amen. Amen. Are you getting something? Remember, the condition. God basically judges your condition within. He's not so much worried about the outside. You know, we are so worried about okay, where we're going and things like that. But God is actually worried about who you're becoming. All right, so remember that this Adam was a son of God. We can allude to that. Amen. The Bible says, Luke 3, 38, Adam was a son of God. And God placed him in the garden. And the garden to do what? To dress and keep it. So God is speaking to the sons of God. You are the sons of God. And God is placing you in the garden. And remember, what you need to dress and keep is not how I look. You need to dress and keep the inward parts. The parts that no one see. And that is what God called you to. The question is, how can man rule other souls? If you can't even rule your own soul. You know, Proverbs 16.32 says that. He that ruleth his spirit is better than he that taketh a city. Do you know that God has created us to judge angels? To rule the world? To exercise dominion over vastness of the universe? But how can we rule all that if you can't even rule your own soul? We all want to rule the world and be with God and rule the universe. But you fail to rule your own spirit. We're starting with your spirit first. And then it will be much easier. Because you know how it will be. If you know how to tend your garden. You know what uh, chemicals to use or what fertilizers. Your grass is always a certain level. Well, won't it be easier if someone come and ask for help for their garden? Because it will be a matter of not you knowing, having a revelation of the garden. It will be you becoming that garden. It will come naturally. Amen. Not to impress whoever. I'm responsible for my garden firstly. And God will look at you being faithful, dressing and keeping your garden. Then he will put you over many to assist with the other gardens not to be ruler in the sense that you know with the stick and you will know in love and to grow it to get the love and the patience and the joy out of the people amen there's a scripture i think is first timothy 3 verse 5 that talks about if a man you don't know how to rule your own house how shall he take care of the church of god amen we want to bless everyone, pray for everyone. You must the master anointed. But get home. Then we see who's anointed at home. 
Then you slap your children around. You speak to your wife like you want to. Because we're not there to see. But God is looking. You allowing those things in your garden. Amen. There's a scripture also that says that a good tree can't bear bad fruit. And a bad tree. If you tend your garden and your fruits are nice, this is what will come out. This is all that you can offer. So we need to, to learn to rule our own spirits. Amen. So now the question is, or the problem is, it's not easy, isn't it? <laughs> to rule your own spirit. But you know what you need to require to rule your own spirit? You need the spirit of God. Because remember, if I talk about ruling your spirit, you know, the restlessness in us. We're always defensive. You know, your quick reactions. When someone says this, you, you're ready to attack. You know, the frustrations and the, the anger you've got, the worries, the fears. Those are the things you need to dress and keep. Those things is, doesn't belong in your, in your garden. So we need to uproot those. You know, God, remember, God looks at your heart. He sees your heart. And you want to rule in life or in the dispensation to come? Start ruling your own spirit. Produce the joy, the peace, the patience. Remember whose garden is it? God's garden. Amen. But he's given you authority to dress and keep it. Hallelujah. So many, many basically likes to, they like to govern others. Issue orders. Amen. Amen. You call the shots. Or you like to manipulate people. Or you like to control what is going on about around you. you. You like to be in charge. You know, while you are that type of person, you can take charge. When it comes to yourself, your own thoughts, your own moods, okay, your own emotions, you fail. But you are in charge. You want to rule. You want to tell people where to sit and not to sit. But you can't even crucify the own lust and your passions in your own heart. Amen. You know, it's similar to that story of the young boy and his father. And his father was tired and it was raining outside. And his father is saying to him, Amen. I want to sleep now. You know, take a nap or something. So just go play. Find something to do. Go in the other room. And the, the son, he comes. It's like, but father, there's nothing to play with. And now, you know, the father is becoming now agitated. He's like, hey, man, uh, go find something, man. But daddy, there's nothing. So the father took this newspaper and he tore a page out. And he saw there's a picture of the world. So he cut it up in like jigsaw puzzle shapes. Gave it to the son and said, all right, now you, you, you put that uh, world together. And you don't come bother me unless you're done with it. And then the father went off. Tried to take it, his nap. Ten minutes after that, the boy comes and, and tag on him. It's like, what now? Are you done? The boy said, yes. He showed him the, 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 the picture of the world laying down on the floor. And the father was like astonished. Saying, how did you manage to get this so quickly? Right. And then the boy just says, no, daddy. At the back, there's a picture or the face of a man. So for me, it was just to get the man right. Then the world was right. Amen. And that's exactly what's happening to us. God wants to get you right. Then the world will be right. Amen. We try to fix the world. But we can't even fix or rule our own spirits. Amen. 
Hallelujah. And I know everyone wants to go to heaven, to the streets of gold or whatever it is. But you know what? God is not interested in where you are going. He's interested in what you are becoming. Amen. So you need to focus as you rule your spirit on are you becoming a son? Or are you just going through the motion? We are so busy must having church and being spiritual that you forget to rule your spirit. So we need to become. It's a state of our being, who we are. There's a difference between being gifted and being the person. You can be gifted, I can be, you know, speak fluently, whatever. I can have whatever revelations. But if it's not me, then what's the use? God is looking at people that can become the sons of God. In John 1, verse 12, it states that, But as many as received him, to them gave he power to, to become the sons of God. So God is more focused on what you become than on where you're going. So become the son of God. Become the seed that God planted on this earth so that others may see and partake of the fruit of the garden of the Lord. Amen. So God basically is looking for mature sons in this day and age. Not those who just stand the father's vineyards Sundays. Or you tend the fathers when there's funerals, then you look more spiritual. Or you know the special occasion. I mean, you can't rule the world like that. Amen. God is looking for mature sons. If you went through something that you overcame, how much better if someone goes through it for you just to, you don't have to say a lot because you know what to do. God has called us to overcome the anger, the hatred, your moods, ladies. <laughs> I'm joking, I'm joking. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Amen. <laughs> I'm watching it. Amen. So when we talk about the garden of God and the vineyard, it's 100% the same. We're referring to the same thing. So if God talks about his vineyard, working in the vineyard, he's talking about the garden. He's talking about you and me. So don't, don't see it as the gardens out there. It is the garden of God that is placed within his garden, which is the sons. Amen. Amen. And it is a watered garden. Hallelujah. Okay, now I quickly want to, to go to uh, this parable. We heard about the parable of the sower. That's actually the first parable that Jesus used to demonstrate the kingdom of God, okay? When he was speaking about the kingdom. But we normally, we take that, uh, the sower, the parable as the sower and the seed. All right, let's see what we can do. You remember, you know, when it comes to a parable, it's a parallel what's happening. But God, basically, when it started with this parable of the sower, the disciples actually questioned him and asked him. That was the time he started 
to speak in parables. And they were like, why are you speaking in parables? Uh, why can't you just say it as it is? But listen to this. If you go to Matthew chapter 13, verse 11 to 13, Jesus says, Unto you it is given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it is not given. So whosoever had, to him will be given, and he shall have an abundance, but whoever had not, from him shall be taken away, even that which he had. Therefore speak I to them in parables, because seeing they see not, and hearing they hear not, and neither do they understand. Reason why we're talking about the garden or the kingdom of God within. Because they see what they want to see. Hence, Jesus is starting to speak in parables because he's speaking to the sons. Knowing that this is spiritual matters. Whatever I'm saying here, they will look at it from a carnal viewpoint. They will see, you say sower, so I'm seeing a sower and sowing and seed and ground. And, but God is trying, what did he say? He wants to allude to the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. So what was the first mystery that he reveals about the kingdom? Parable of the sower. Matthew 13 verse 3 to 9. 3 says, And he spake many things unto them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went forth to sow, and when he sowed, some seeds fell by the wayside, and the fowls came and devoured them up. Some fell upon stony places where they had not much earth, and forthward they sprang up because they had no deepness of earth. And when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked them. But others fell into good ground and brought forth fruit. Some hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirtyfold. Who had ears to hear, let him hear. Amen. If you can go back to the uh, verse 3. The first mystery, basically, in this parable, that Jesus wants to make known is that Men are sown as the material in the kingdom of God. Not seeds. Remember, we have this tendency when it says uh, the parable of the sower and the seeds. It's actually misleading. Because Jesus is giving us the first mystery, which is men are sown. Verse 4, where it says, But the sower went forth to sow, and he sowed seed. This word seeds, if you have your Bibles, you will see it's in italics. And whatever is in italics means they have put it there. It wasn't there. All right, so that verse should have read, Behold, the sower went forth to sow. And as he sowed, some fell by the wayside. Remember we're talking about the kingdom of God on earth or the garden of God. So this sower went out to sow. So what? No, not so what. I mean, what did he sow? <laughs> As it states here, it says, and when he sowed, some seeds fell by the wayside. Like I said, 
cut out. It's not supposed to be there. What does it really mean? This sower, he went to sow men. Let's hear what is Jesus' interpretation. Matthew 13, verse 18 to 19, it says, Hear ye therefore the parable of the sower. When anyone heard the word of the kingdom and understanded it not, then cometh the wicked one and catches away that which was sown in his heart. This is he which receives seed by the wayside. There we see seeds again. But once we get to the translations, it means that portion, he which receives seed, is in actual fact he that was sown. King James says seeds. In West translation it says, While everyone is listening and not comprehending the word of the kingdom, there comes a pernicious one and snatches away that which was sown in his heart. This man is he who was sown as seed. You see what he's talking about? You are the seed. God is sowing man. This is the first mystery of the parable of the sower. A sower went out to sow. What did he sow? Man. Another translation says, Rotterdam, when anyone heard the word of the kingdom and understandeth it not, the wicked one cometh and catcheth up that which had been sown in his heart. This is he by the pathway sown. Another translation, Moffat says, When anyone hears the word of the realm and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away that has been sown in his heart. That is the man who is sown on the road. So the first mystery about the kingdom of heaven is that God sows man. So the whole earth basically has been sown with men of various kinds. God sowed firstly humanity, then he sowed a nation, and then he sowed a son. Let's first go to the humanity part. Acts chapter 17, verse 24 and 26. God had made the world and all things therein, and had made of one. Of who? One man, which was Adam. Amen. All nations of men, for to dwell on all the face of the whole earth. See, God sown Adam, and humanity was there. He was the seed so that humanity can come. He sowed a man. Isaiah 40, verse 6 to 7. It says, all flesh is grass, and all the goodliness thereof, as the flower of the field, the grass withered, the flower faded, because the Spirit of the Lord bloweth upon it. Surely the people is grass. If we go to talking about God sowing a nation, uh, by now you know which nation, amen? The nation of Israel. Genesis 12, verse 1 to 3, it says, Now the Lord said to Abram, I will make of thee a great nation. So God is sowing Abram to get the nation of Israel. Okay, Isaiah 44, verse 1, 3, 4, we're still focusing on the nation. It says, Yet now hear, O Jacob, my servant, 
and Israel whom I have chosen. I will pour my spirit upon thy seed and my blessings upon thy offering. And they shall spring up among the grass. Talking about humanity. And as willows by the water causes. One shall say, I am the Lord. And another shall call himself by the name of Jacob. And another surname himself as the name of Israel. God has sown a man to get a nation. Or to reap a nation. Psalm 80 verse 8 to 11. Thou hast brought a vine out of Egypt. Thou hast cast out the heathen and planted it. See, God is using these terms of agriculture, but he's speaking to or is alluding to man. When he says like, you, you brought a vine out of Egypt. It's not like he was uh, getting some grapes, you know, grapevine and take it from Egypt. All right. Thou hast cast out the heathen and planted it and this caused it to take deep root and it filled the land. Amen. Now we focus on his son. Remember God sowed humanity. He sowed nation. And then he sowed his son. Okay. Galatians 4 verse 4 says. But when the fullness of time was come. God sent forth his son. Isaiah 53 2 to 3 says. For he. Referring to his son shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of the dry ground. Isaiah 53, verse 2 to 3. He is despised and rejected of man, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. John 1, John 15, sorry, verse 1, is 5 and 8 says, I am the true vine and my father is the husband man. A husband man is the gardener, right? I am the vine and you are the branches. Talking about God has sown his son. I am the vine, you are the branches, meaning you will come forth out of me. Hallelujah. Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. The sun, the seed of the sun, living in me, producing. Okay? Galatians 4.19 says, My little children of whom I travail in birth again, until Christ be formed in you. Uh, the good seed is, is us. It's basically Jesus Christ. He is the good seed. And he was sown. And a whole new creation shall arise from out of this new man, which is Jesus. Amen. So there was man was sown previously, but this man is the good ground in which you will be sown. Amen. And once this good ground produced, it produced hundredfold, sixty, and thirty. As it says that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. People of God, the first mystery in the kingdom. God is sowing men. Amen? So when God talks about sowing, if there's a problem, if God, if they need shade in a certain area, you plant a certain type of tree. So God is planting you on this earth so that the kingdom of God 
can be revealed and manifested. God is planting. The planting that is happening in this life is not us. Meaning, I'm not planting. God is planting a garden. Remember, God is in charge of everything. If God decides to put you in the garden, you don't have any say in it. Because he has purpose in his heart to use you or to plant you in that time. You are here for purpose and a reason. But firstly, your first goal is to dress and keep your own soul. Uh, there's a scripture that says, guard your heart. For out of it flows the issues of life. Amen. God has put the man exactly in the garden to dress and keep it. So you must do something about it. God plants the garden, puts you in the garden. Everything is fine in the garden. Then you must guard and keep it. So especially, remember when you were growing up, okay, you were a baby. You don't uh, remember basically the first three years. Reason why? You never had formulated thoughts yet. There was no pattern in your thoughts. But anyway, uh, when you were a child, do, did you have any uh, dirty thoughts? Or any, uh, you were trying to be evil? No. You came clean, innocent. God says, I put you here. You tend and keep this garden. But then what happened? You failed. This thought came, you started experimenting with this and that, and then you find yourself where you are today. But God in his mercy saying, in this wilderness that you are, don't worry, I'll make it again, the garden of Eden. But now, he's teaching you now to say, now wake up and tend and keep this garden. Don't allow any thoughts to come in. We sit in front of a TV, all those negative thoughts, xenophobia, the sight. You allow it to grow in your garden. Then it, it will grow, then hatred comes up, and then it's this, and then it's that. Uh, and, and normally, you know, what, what I've also realized with people is that once you are sown, and you have this gift, and people are starting to enjoy the fruits, then you start to mix yourself in there. But it's the Lord's planting. Then it becomes, you know, if I'm there, yes, then you see what's happening. If, if it wasn't for me, then, mm -hmm. then it starts, you see what, how subtly something else is coming in this garden. Remember, this is the Lord's garden. It's all about him. You must decrease so that he can, because it's his garden anyway. Remember, before Jesus came, there was a blockage. You couldn't tend to this garden. You were mighty men, David and them, men after God's own heart, but still, they couldn't tend this garden. But God is calling you to become the sons of God, which you actually are, and guard and keep the garden of God. Amen. So when you are amongst the, the, the saints or in this garden or in the society, what fruits are you giving off? No, I'm a son of God, you know. I belong to this church and that church, and I'll smack you. <laughs> Are you the planting of the Lord? Or did you plant yourself now? Some people I've seen even in ministry, they plant themselves. God is planting. 
You, for, you know, we want peace in the world, isn't it? So you become the peace. We can pray for the peace. But you become this peace. Because God has planted you on this earth exactly to resolve these things. So be connected to your source, which is divine, which is Jesus. Amen. In closing, Songs of Solomon. The Shulamite said it so well. Songs of Solomon, chapter 1, verse 6. They made me keeper of the vineyards, but my own vineyard I have not kept. You want to be keeper of the vineyards, but you neglect your own vineyard. There's a scripture of the vines. Song of Solomon 2 verse 15. It says, take us the foxes, the little foxes that spoils the vines. For our vines have tender grapes. The little foxes spoil the vine. And these little foxes we tend to neglect. I'm talking about those insignificant thoughts. Those rudeness. It's like, no, man, I grew up with this, so it's nothing actually. It's those little foxes that will rob you of the life of God in you and your destiny. If you're going to neglect it. In actual fact, what happens normally with the small or the little foxes? In a vineyard, when they dress it, okay, they cut the, or prune it. They cut the branches, it falls on the floor. So... Obviously, they don't remove it, so it lays there. Then the foxes come, and they put their little foxes under the branches to be safe. And then these little foxes, they start to nibble on the vine, and they eat the bark, and they, the, it ruins the sap, actually, of the whole. And then eventually, the whole vineyard becomes dry. It's ruined. And that is, you know, don't neglect the little foxes. No, I'm like that. I mean, this is who I am. Okay, leave the little foxes. You will see your growth in God, will, <coughs> it will be destroyed. You are the, the keeper of your garden. So remove the little foxes. Amen. And what does the big ones do? Oh, they eat the grapes. Little foxes grow up, destroy the fruit. The fruit. So... If you're not going to guard this garden or remove the small foxes, they will grow up and destroy even the fruit that you got, that you produce, the joy, the peace, the patience, the love. They will destroy that or eat it up. And then tomorrow, you are wasted. You dry. That's why you wonder in your spiritual life, why is it up and down? You don't guard and keep your garden. That's what it's about. And God didn't give the responsibility to the pastor. He is there to water whatever <laughs> is so dry. You understand? <laughs> because sometimes people can be dry, seriously. And I'm <laughs> They don't even smile. I know dryness, you can be dry. Meaning there's not even a joy in you. Or there's not even love within you. Or even kindness. Nothing. You dry. Then you say, no, I'm, I'm belonging to that church, you know. The fire of God. Yeah, the fire will burn up all that dryness. <laughs> Amen. So, really, people, this 
be very, very careful of the young foxes. You know those, the, the habits, that word you normally speak. Yeah, just a saying, okay, okay. Tomorrow, yeah. Yeah, and then they laugh. There's those attitudes, like I said, you said, no, I'm born, I'm like this. I mean, can't say, okay, it's fine. We'll see how far. There's emotions. And sometimes we like to cling unto the old natural ways. You know, in church we used to do it like this. The whole thing here is about, you know, even Paul talking about this little foxes. In Colossians 3 verse 8, it says, But now ye also put off these. If he says put off, it means lay aside, put it away, or seize hold of it. Cast it away. Anger, wrath, malice, filthy communication out of your mouth. So whatever you find or situation you find yourself in, joy is coming in the morning. And whatever was intended for bad, God will change it and, and make it good. So wherever you find yourself, knowing that it's the garden of God and he needs to prune you. There's some things that must be out, but you are holding on to it. Amen. I think uh, we'll carry on. There's another portion that I actually want to allude to more is concerning the fruits. But I don't, I'm not going to go into that now. What you have received today is like God instructed me to water his garden. Amen. He will bring the increase, not me. But in that, I must know that I must still rule my own spirit. I must make sure whatever thoughts comes, the Bible also declares whatever is good, profitable, of, you know, peaceful, of good report, think on those things. Amen. Hallelujah. Let's give the Lord a hand. Hallelujah.